Welcome to the Different People Podcast, where we explore inclusion, diversity, and belonging in conversations about the often untold experiences of different people. These conversations are candid, spontaneous, and can sometimes be difficult. Yet they are necessary and critical to the healthy functioning of communities, organizations, and society as a whole. My name is Lisa Schmidt. I'm a leadership coach, a senior consultant in organizational development, and a professional speaker. And my name is Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. I'm a clinical and consulting psychologist, an expert in diversity and inclusion, executive coach, and a professional speaker as well. And we are your hosts. Welcome back to our Different People podcast. This is season two, episode seven. Today, this is actually our second coaching episode. We did a two-part coaching section, uh, the first one where I coached Lisa through something, and today where Lisa will coach me through some difficulties. And we are doing this uh, segment of our, our coaching subsection primarily because this is what we're advocating for. We're encouraging people to do this invisible work. And both Lisa and I, sitting on different sides of a fence, so to speak, uh, uh, an ethnic fence, will have different things to work on. And so today, I'm nervously, gonna be, yeah, I'm going to be coaching you. Yeah. Raven and uh, well, let, let me let me first put your your mind at ease, um, and I'll just talk for two seconds about what coaching is. So coaching is is not advice giving. It's um, you know I'm not telling you what I think you should do. Coaching is not mentoring that I say. Well, let me tell you how I did this in my career. It's not teaching or training, and it's not therapy. Really, what coaching is 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 a way to have a conversation with somebody that helps surface and work towards options and actions that, uh, that shift things in a forward motion. And I'd like to make a point to our listeners right before we step in a couple of things. So one is um, obviously if we are putting this in a podcast, the issues of confidentiality between the coach and the coachee are, we're setting them aside because obviously it's not confidential if we're, we're, we're broadcasting this. And the second is that Raymond and I have a pre-existing professional and personal relationship. We work together and we're friends. And so normally when you are enter into a coaching relationship, it is strictly a relationship between the coach and the client or the coachee. So those are the two caveats that I'd like to, um, to put in up front. Raymond, is there anything you would like to say before we jump in? Well, I guess the next step is jumping in, but I want to talk about the talking about. And I guess the feelings I had about about being vulnerable, but also being discussing issues that for me seem very much tied to my marginalization with somebody who has white privilege. So right. now I this said it and that's why I want to talk about this. I do work in cross-cultural competence. I train people in this, I write about it. And I know that this is a skill that people can develop. But there is this concept of cultural congruence, that there is some benefit to be able to talk to somebody who quote unquote gets it because they've had a lived experience. 
And so I'll tell you how important it is. It's not to say that it's not possible, but I want to explain the set of emotions that I went through despite me doing this work, knowing what's possible. I said to you, I don't know, I don't know if you're going to get it, Lisa. Yeah. I don't know if I can actually talk to you about this. And it, how did it make you feel, first and foremost? Well, I thought it was a, a, an off, a genuine checking in and an offer of connection. To me, I think when people establish a relationship where it becomes increasingly okay to talk about difficult things, then they don't, there's no pinch. Yeah. Yeah. Or the pinch is not as pinchy. I would say. <laughs> not pinchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was only after like you and I began to discuss and I told you about that. Like I had to feel comfortable enough to tell you that I was worried that you weren't going to get it, that I recognized that, that actually our discussions not it was a formal training, but our discussions left you with a familiarity, uh, some level of competence, a cross-cultural competence that you could understand what I was saying. Yeah. And you and I have still had some discussions where I was like, okay, you said, you know, I don't see it from your perspective, but that honesty of it, of not seeing it from my perspective, but also wanting to and learning allowed me to have a sense of trust. Right. Because there's always this worry that, and this is, this has been my concern uh, doing this episode is I'm not sure I want to be this vulnerable. Okay. Well, I'm going to be, but, but that was a, a thought that I had. I, I don't, for this concept, you know, people like Brene Brown talks about vulnerability. And I got to tell you, that is some of the whitest stuff that I have ever heard. The power of vulnerability. Now, yes, I agree. The whitest the whitest, I mean, the most okay. privileged thing, right? Because yeah. I'm not entirely sure that when you're marginalized, if you're a person of color or a religious or cultural or ethnic minority, that you have the privilege to be so vulnerable. I mean, my professionalism is was what I have, right? This is, yeah. this is what, I don't have that other privilege. I take off my professionalism, my title, and... To many people, I'm just a brown guy, you know, the Muslim guy. And all those stereotypes stick. The only thing that pulls me out of that is my professionalism. It is my profession. And so to let go of that, right, that one guard that you spend your life fighting for, you know, it, it feels it's I don't have any other layers a privilege right. to hide behind. And so to be vulnerable is to be butt naked. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I, when I say it's the whitest thing, I, I don't mean that as an insult. I, I just. No, I, I, what I've learned in many of our conversations is the form that privilege takes. It's not just, it, it's not just in the most obvious ways. Yeah. That, privilege shows up it shows up in ways in which you don't understand that things that you think of as standards mm -hmm. are actually anchored in privilege things that you think of that you take for granted you know whether I mean you and I've talked about even like you know holidays or that to me 
there are some more obvious ways of, of seeing privilege, but I agree with you when you talk about being vulnerable. And the only thing I think I could relate this to is, you know, when you said you take away my professionalism, I still look at you as a man. So I don't have that privilege. No, it's true. But I mean, you see, this is kind of where I feel a little bit defensive, if I were to be honest, right? Putting aside my privilege of, of my professionalism, white women still have greater privilege than men of color. Right. Right. There's these layers. Yes. Intersectionality. Layers. And, yeah. Yeah. And the more intersectionality you have, the less privilege you have to hide behind, you know, sometimes, you know, like. Right. Right. Like, I'll give you, so, the, I'll give you can I give you an ahead. example? Yeah, please. So my brother is this brilliant, like, vascular surgeon, like brilliant. And um, like, it's funny, the number of times, if he were to step into an office to see his patients, and if he's not dressed in scrubs, that would people would think that he's the taxi driver. Right. Right. So like, once that that veneer of what makes somebody look like a professional disappears. That's it. You know, if I travel, a number of times I've been asked if I speak English, right? Because I'm not wearing a doctor cap. I'm not wearing a psychologist t-shirt. And so once that goes, you know, the way people treat you is gone. And so the concern I have here, the emotion I have, is when you become vulnerable. And, and this is a sentiment I think a lot of people of color have, is that you don't show your weakness. And I, Michelle Byrne actually mentioned this in our first season. You don't yeah. talk about, you don't air your dirty laundry. And it's not that there isn't, it's normal. Everybody's got this stuff, but you don't want to talk about that vulnerability because, because you don't need one more mark against you. Yeah, yeah. So given everything you've said, and I think a half an hour of a coaching conversation would probably be, we'd be able to step into some aspects of this. If, if, if I were to say to you, Raymond, by the end of this, let's say half hour, something would have shifted for you by, by talking, mm -hmm. you know, what, what is, what is active for you right now that you think, and in all the things that you've described, if you were to kind of pinpoint it or bottom line it, how would you summarize in a sentence what you think we can explore in this conversation that, that, is, <laughs> that you have a sense in talking about it will will either add to your awareness or knowledge or ability to process it or even just put words to it. Yeah. I mean, it's a big thing to talk about this publicly, but I think the one thing is when I do this work, I feel like I have to sleep with one eye open. So, so, okay. So I, I get an image in my head of that. Describe that to me. What does that mean to you? It feels like you're open for attack. And it, like, I mean, I, I know like, um, like, I, I know that there's going to be this. I know there's going to be people who are upset and agitated and and people who feel the need to kind of, people don't often give 
feedback for the sake of giving feedback. And I even said to you, like, I'm like, I don't want to complain about, like, it makes me feel like I'm just complaining all the time about feedback. And I, thankfully I get some constructive feedback and some good feedback, but then there's this feedback that people are just out to get you. And then they, they feel like it's okay. I'll give you an example. Like yesterday I gave a professional development workshop for a professional association and, you know, most people were very good. This one guy sends me a private message online and says, as a white man who is Christian, you're oppressing me right now. And as a result, I'm going to sign off. This is like a half an hour into a three hour talk. I'm going to, I'm going to log off because you're oppressing me. But if you wish to take this offline, you can reach me at this email and phone number. So like now it's my job to appease him. And this is the kind of stuff you just get used to. But the worst of it all, Lisa, is that sometimes you get it people from people in your own community. I've gotten some feedback, a two-page letter. This is false. Ironically, feedback from somebody who came from a Muslim background who since followed up with some nice feedback. But I got to tell you, I got this, this two-page letter. And the tone of it, I mean was rough and and it was it was around this defensiveness of christmas right like and that that episode yeah i i know i'm on a tirade but i'll take this no, as no my please case. i i know i i i want to hear what what's what's alive for you right now well i mean you and i talked about this right and it was like um it was just basically saying i, I want to read it to you there are too many incidences both at mosques and community gatherings to put into words Hence, Christmas is the only time where I get to enjoy a few hours with my family and diverse groups of friends, which is valid feedback. You talk about inclusion. Well, let me inform you, brother, that there is no inclusion in the Muslim, Indo-Pakistani, Arab community. The only people who have helped me through my career has been the white Euro-Canadians. Please, I don't want to hear that I have internalized racism and I am now vengeful towards my own fellow Muslims, brothers and sisters. And then on top of it, it says, the letter goes on to say, should you choose not to address the issues and focus exclusively on black-white racism, so be it. I'm not going to try to convince you about the problems. But some of us who claim to be woke, in quotes, then we need to interrogate our own biases and take care of the disorder in our own home before telling others in the neighborhood how they should be living their lives. I mean, here's the problem with that kind of a statement. This is my neighborhood. This is my community. I've had letters sent in from another Muslim once where I was um, criticizing Trudeau about blackface and brownface. Or, and I get a letter referring to my son. I mean, somebody knows I've got a kid, mentions him, knows what I do for like it's It's unnerving how personal this gets. Here I am doing this as a professional, as professional work. And people make it really personal. And you get it from yeah. people in your own community and the assumptions people make about who you are. Well, people don't know that. Uh, well, maybe they could make an assumption or they could ask, but they don't know that I come from uh, a family with diverse bloodlines, that uh, I never really fit in into the Muslim community. But that's not the point, right? Just because immigrant communities or cultural communities have their own issues. And the truth is they all do. You know, if you talk to people in a Portuguese community or an Italian community or an Indian community or a Jamaican community, 
you know, within any small community, there's always a little bit of drama. Everybody's got their own stuff. That doesn't make it okay for white people to create greater sense of inequities. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So I'm hearing a couple of things. So one is I'm hearing you react to this particular feedback, but I want to take a, a step back and ask you, and this is out of my own curiosity around the work that you do. Would it not be legitimate for me to assume that if you're going to work in diversity and inclusion, which no. has hot spots in it, that this kind of feedback comes with the territory? So yeah. I guess that's kind of my first question. And my second is, like you're, I'm experiencing as you're talking about this, like a, a real reactivity to it. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, that's my language. I mean, yeah. So maybe I'm out of place in saying it, but is it possible that A, going back to my first part of this, is it possible that this comes with the territory and B, that by nature of the, the person you are and the work that you do, you, you do take it personally. And I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, but I'm, I'm just curious about what would it be like to explore that? <sighs> Well, I mean, when things are sent to you personally, there's only so much of a thick skin one can put on. I mean, that's the heart of this issue for me, Lisa, okay. is that like this shouldn't have to be the cost of doing your job. Understood. Right? And by like, the way, I agree. Yeah, this shouldn't have to be the cost. But, but the dilemma here is that this really like doing this work isn't easy to begin with. Like one has to wrestle with their own internalized difficulties, internalized racism to be able to do this work. Like I joke often about my mother, you know, saying, you know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't say that, you know, that's going to get you into trouble. I mean, we, and I say when we, when I sleep with one, I open, I mean, that's a, that's a realistic fact. Like it's not just me. You can't say anything. You're not allowed to. And if you do, like it's taken a lot of work for me to get to the point where I could say this stuff. Like, so it's, it's taken a lot of work for me to gain a lot of privilege to be able to say these kinds of things. But you have to doubt yourself. You doubt yourself from the beginning. And the thing is, I know what I'm talking about. Like, but it's kind of like being gaslit, right? It's like, I do this work. I've studied it. I, I, I know what I'm doing, right? And it's not to say that I'm, I'm always right or can't be corrected. But the kind of feedback that you get is not one that's objective. And what that does is it tends to trigger a lot of that internalized racism, right? Mm -hmm. it, it triggers this need to just shut up. I've had enough thoughts to just end the podcast. You know, I was like, I'm out, Lisa. See you later. That was, you know, how quickly do we want to move into season two? I'm having thoughts. I'm like, and, and, you know, I, I'm just like, well, do I want to continue into season three? How is this going to impact my personal life? Because as much as even if I don't take it personally, people are taking it personally. And, and then they make it personal. And so well, I have to think I, about people in my, I have to think about people in my yeah. life too, right? My kid, my family. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, 
I know about how you work and you're doing it right now is you're using real live examples in order to help people learn and understand. And you're, you're using yourself as an example right now. And in my view, the world would be, would have missed out on the richness of what you have to share by your courage and willingness to be vulnerable on these topics but i'm also hearing you express very clearly the cost of that to you because when you talk about when i open i hear a sense of feeling threatened when people are mentioning your son it feels like you know almost like you're being stalked like that that's the the, the sense that i get from this and yet i also know that i think you couldn't live with yourself if you didn't do this work because yeah, no, of sure. how deeply how deeply it matters to you. So let's just for a moment change gears for a second. And tell me why you're so drawn and so passionate about doing work that you are very much recognized for in diversity and inclusion. Tell, tell me what that brings to your life. Well, I mean, it, it just the alternative is that you just put up with shit. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it just gets tiring having to live with things the way that they are when clearly you see that they're not going well. Yeah, it sounds like a cliche though, but to watch the impact of that on your kid is like, okay, this is enough. Right. But, but then, and you become the angry brown guy, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways. Well, I know that you do this work more than to be a role model for your son or to to create the to work on creating with many others a world that is more equitable and more inclusive and i i would suggest to you and you can tell me otherwise i would suggest to you that in my view it's inevitable that you will attract all kinds of feedback that will feel provocative and personal because of the quality of the work that you're doing and what i mean by that is like i'll just give the example of what you've just talked about like i am not here like when i hear most people the vast majority of people i read on diversity and inclusion i feel like i'm being I wouldn't say lectured to, but there is an element of here's the thing you need to learn. You take an entirely different approach, which is a more intimate and nuanced way of doing it. And I think the way you do this work kind of gets under people's skin because of how effective you are at it. Mm. So if, if I were to suggest to you that so maybe some of the consequences of the feedback you're getting is really exemplifying just how good you are at looking at this holistically. What kind of reaction do you have to that? Well, I mean, it's very kind of you. It is very kind of you. Maybe what I am trying to say is that you have to appear a little bulletproof when you do this work. So that might be the public take on it. But you, you kind of also need people to talk to, like to debrief about this stuff. You need people who get it, right? Like you're just like, God, you know, sometimes you need somebody you can roll your eyes with who kind of gets it, you know? And, and that's really helpful because otherwise you begin to feel really alone. 
Yeah. And, and the way you describe it is I would describe as feeling targeted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it shows up in many parts of my life, Lisa. I mean, right. and not just because I'm not just because I'm doing this work, like it shows up in any kind of way, but God, like it just, um, it weighs on you. You know, like racism weighs on you and it, it begins to make you think that, you know what, maybe, maybe I was being too sensitive because this horrible thing happened. I mean, I thought it'd be clear. I thought it makes sense. I thought it seems pretty clear that that would not be the right thing. Yeah. But to doubt yourself like that. Like, and I don't think I'm the only one who experiences that. Well, no, I mean, there's, there are a couple of times in which you've come to me directly and said to me, this happened. Do you, do, do, how, you know, how do you interpret that? And I'm, I am, I see the racism in it and, and you're mm-hmm. doubting your own experience. And I think part of it is just the volume of experience you have. Right. And it, you're kind of parsing like of all the things I've experienced, is, is this something I'm sensitive about or is this actually uh, an intentional act? You know, or it could be an unconscious bias as well. And by virtue of, of the work that you do, what I've learned from you, I, I see instances in which racism is at play that you are in a, in a place of doubt. And I, I say that to you as we're having this conversation, because again, it's about the way that you do your work that has enabled me to learn. And so I I keep coming back to this idea that, that I'm seeing the high emotional cost that, that this exacts from you. And I see the unbelievable power I don't think people would be giving you the kind of feedback that you're getting if you did not have impact. So in a strange kind of way, I think what I'm saying to you is you're doing so much good and part of the data is on the heightened and triggered feedback you're getting from people both within your community and outside of it. You know, the thing is, again, nice of you to say, but typically... You don't think you're doing a good job if you're triggering people, right? Like that's that's not how most things work. And so the initial reaction is like, what did I just do wrong? Mm. Right? Like that's the, like what happens, right? So like maybe people don't hear it. Let's say in the middle of that presentation yesterday, I'm like, what? I, I, got a, I get enough of this feedback that I'm used to it, but there is that moment where you're just like, wait a second, like there's a record scratch. You know, where you have to, there's a minute, enough of a pause that other people can't hear it, but you feel it. And you're like, what did, wait, what happened? Just, just what happened right there? And you have to take that emotional piece, put it aside and carry forward to present the rest of the two and a half hours. And you do, and it's okay. We carry on. That's a part of what I do, as you said. But I, I think that. There's great value when you when you are when you're leading a cause 
or an organization and you are from a marginalized group, there's a great value in being able to hash it out and recognize the ways that it holds you back because I think it does hold me back sometimes, Lisa. Okay. So say more about that. How does it hold you back? Well, it holds me back in so many ways. I don't know how to, like it, there are times where you have to use your professional judgment on things, right? And maybe, maybe it's, it makes your skills sharper. I'd say, you know, when you have to deal with people throwing things at you, you get really good at dodging, but it certainly does make you think twice sometimes, you know, the things that you want to be able to do, you can't cause you have to second guess. And you always have to filter it through this process of like, imagine how, so you have this profession, you studied it, you want to now present it and you know what you know, because it's your work, but now you have to filter it through the lens of how it might offend people. Right. And that's an extra layer. And so you're like, okay, so I'm going to do that. And so you do that and you get to be good at that. And then people are still offended. So then you just get to the point where you're like, well, should I bother doing this? And there's been times in my life where I've held back and held back and held back. And maybe I'm holding back less now, but, but I, I, I do know psychologically speaking that those speed bumps can and do slow down progress. And this is where, you know, some people listening to this will say, Oh, that's not true. But but those of us who are people of color or immigrants will have had our parents say to us, you're going to have to work harder than anybody else to get half as far. And I feel that. That is so incredibly true. And not right. being able to acknowledge that yeah. just slows it down more. Right. Sorry, you were asking a question. Yeah, no. So, so I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you're, you're being very candid and sharing their, their really deeply felt visceral impact of the work that you do. Can you, for a moment, imagine somebody listening to this mm. feeling more understood feeling more validated and feeling more able to stand up for themselves and let, hold themselves less back by virtue of the fact that you are able to talk about this. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Here's the, and here's the really isolating thing about racism and internalized racism. I do this work. I see that with the people I work with. And so I know that but it's still hard to believe okay? because of the really good professional front. Like I'm thinking right now, some people of color, I know who are leaders and how amazingly strong they appear. And I know some people like that who I've spoken to, who, who in the privacy of our own conversations are like, F this shit. I'm so sick and tired of placating okay. people. Right. Y you see both sides, but it, it it's again, if we don't, if we don't, this is why I'm being vulnerable. This is the reason I choose to be vulnerable. The hope that other people see it and recognize they're not alone. I hope. 
Well, I would suggest to you based on everything I know about your work. So you shared in another episode some feedback you got at a session you did. You've talked about a few things in this episode. I also know that you have unbelievable credibility. I mean, you are seen as a go-to person for our public broadcaster. You are a speaker on behalf of both your community, but broader than that in the field of diversity and inclusion, sought after by multinational organizations. The feedback that we get from this podcast is the level of vulnerability that you and I bring to these conversations. I'm wondering if there's an overweighing of the negative, difficult feedback in the face of the overwhelming, in my view, positive and supportive and appreciative feedback that you get for the work that you do. Yeah. I mean, yes, thank you, and yes. But I know clinically I can tell you that typically happens. I know why that happens is when we get so used to getting negative feedback and wanting to please other people. And I think I'm a bit of a people pleaser sometimes, as much as I may not come across that way with my big mouth, that that's living under the yoke of oppression. Mm. You know, and that's, that's that internalized racism that, that I think I and many people of color need to fight. Hang on, I'm going to pause you here for a second. So you advocating on behalf of people of color and helping educate people about the impacts of systemic racism and white supremacy, that means you have a big mouth? (laughs) You have a big mouth. How how could you describe that differently? (laughs) Loud mouth? <laughs> no, I'm not letting you get away with that. Now you're going to embarrass me. Well, I, I would just Daddy. suggest to you that you, you, the way that you've described the work that you do is, is kind of, it's not pejorative, but it doesn't recognize well, what I, you I, actually do. I mean, you have a platform. You are invited into many communities and many organizations because of your expertise. You are recognized professionally for this. I mean, maybe, and if we, and, and by the way, if you want to use the big, the term big mouth, I think we need to redefine it around being someone who's able to speak about things in a candid way that gets through to people. I mean, where I'm going in the overall things that I'm saying to you is I'm hearing the undertone for all of this is a lack of appreciation for the amount of courage and resilience that you have. You're acknowledging the difficulty, but I'm not hearing you equally talk about the strengths that you bring to all of this. And, and I'd like you to just pause And if you were to look at yourself as a third party and not your internal dialogue, if you were to look at yourself as the person you are, would you be able to see those qualities more clearly? 
I, I know I'm an advocate. I know I understand that piece. For me, the advocacy come advocacy comes out of a need more than a an ego. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Totally. Yeah. Well, you you said to me, and I think you alluded to it earlier that, and it it kind of alarmed me a little bit when you said to me that, you know, your members of your family, your mother, were concerned for the the advocacy work that you do and i think this came particularly on uh when you were on radio a few weeks ago and talked about defunding christmas and and i i'm not going to say that i thought it was a brave thing to say because i thought it was a really great way to have a conversation (laughs) <laughs> and what's remarkable is that we're, it points out to me, like when people react strongly to the things you say, it does exactly the thing that highlights that we need to change. Right. I know. Right. So, know. so that to me is, is a gift that you have. And you also do it with a lightness. Like you're not, you're not angry. You're, you're passionate and there's a lightness in it. And so I mean, I guess I, I keep coming back to the, the same thing, which is I don't know that you're fully appreciating and seeing the contribution that you're making because of how painful the feedback is when you receive it. I think for me, I think for me, and I'm not trying to be ungrateful, and this is me being like super vulnerable, I think those that feedback triggers like years of experienced racism. Right. Like when we experience trauma, things in the future can trigger that. And if I were to be honest, I'm not sure, like there is that, right? Like, like one of the earliest, so I'm an immigrant, one of the earliest experiences that I had here in Canada was getting pushed against the lockers by some kids saying, where's your curry chicken and rice for no reason, right? Like I was just walking to the locker. Hey, Hey, where's your curry chicken and rice? Hey, I remember a grown woman looking down at my brother, pointing her finger at him because my brother didn't believe in Santa Claus. And as a grade two happened to mention that to his friend. And so the friend's mother comes and starts tearing one into my brother. How dare you tell my child there's no Santa Claus? And it's not to say that I can't separate what that was then and what's happening now. But part of the passion and the counterside of that, I think for me, is like the hurt comes from witnessing and experiencing ongoing racism. And so you you carry that with you, and kind of I kind of feel icky mentioning that, right? Like a, me telling you that is like a removal of my professionalism, right? It takes me back to when I was like a kid. I hear that, and yet I also hear that you being able to connect this lifetime of being othered to the work that you do there's 
you have an ability to come from a place of understanding and compassion, regardless of what, who you're working with because you have had these experiences. Now, I wish you did not have any of these experiences. I'm not saying, look at the bright side, you know, <laughs> turn those, you know, turn those lemons into a lemon grove. I'm, I'm not suggesting that. But I, I think what I'm, what I'm learning and having this conversation with you is that the part of the impact of living in a racist society and having very regular experiences of racism is exactly what you're describing is a sense of, am I making this up? Cause it's so, it's so prevalent. It's, it's almost like the air that you breathe. And in spite yeah. of all of that, you are consistently making an active choice to be in the conversation which in my view exemplifies, as you said earlier on in this conversation, what the invisible work is. And I want to acknowledge that I'm really hearing the pain in it. Yeah. See, I, the, the flip side is, is I don't want sympathy. Like, I don't, I don't want that because for me, that takes away my strength. So is, is there anything you do want? <laughs> Other than for our society to be more yeah. equitable and you to not have these experiences or worry that your son will live in a world that treats I him. mean, for the, purpose of, for the purpose of coaching, what I think people want, what I want is a sense of relatability. Right. You know, which is different from, from pity and sympathy. Like, I don't want it and people can keep it and, yeah. you know, and you're kind as a friend, but I, I don't want it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, I just don't. Well, and, and by the way, I'm not sitting here thinking as I speak to you that I'm trying to make you feel better. No, no. I'm, I, what I'm doing is, is, is help is, is an attempt to help you see that there's part of the story you're not telling. No, that, and that's helpful. That's helpful. No, I agree. I agree. So we've been talking for about half an hour. Yeah. Where, where are you now having, having had this conversation? Thinking if I need a piece of cake or not. <laughs> uh, where am I? Well, uh, the, the answer is always yes, but, but keep going. But that might be me deflecting. You know, that may be me thinking, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You know, it's enough vulnerability for one day. Right. Ugh, I don't feel good about this. And yet I know it needs to be done. Because I know I'm not the only one. But gosh, Lisa, it doesn't feel the best. So icky is how I'm feeling. Because I think I have my stuff together. Like, it's not like I'm... I mean, the risk is also that people think you don't have your shit together. And oh, I got my shit together. I'm good. But, ugh. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure. I feel great about this, but it's, it's, it's there. There it is. Is there anything that I can do or say at this point in the conversation? Is, is there anything you feel that would be beneficial for you to hear from me? Well, I think you have been helpful and beneficial. It's always really good to be able to bounce off, you know, experience and to, 
feel like, and I think, I think you have provided this to me, like a, some sense of relatability and wanting to understand what I've been through. So that's helpful. Well, and I guess I would say to you, even when I can't fully relate or understand you on, on issues of what it's like to, to be othered, to be a person of color, I do see how, what the impact is. And I can relate to that. I can relate to that very well. And I, I mean, I know I can't do anything to take that away from you because you get up in the morning and it's not like you put your brown skin on in order to go out into the world and seek uh, unmerited and often hurtful comments from people. Yeah, but I think you do relate and you and I relate a lot on like, I mean, you being a woman, I think a lot of what, a lot of what I've told you you relate to me in similar experiences as being a woman. Mm-hmm. And understanding that I'm, I'm as, as relatable as we can be in these conversations, I can never have your identity. I can never have your experience. Right. And, and that to me is, is I think a key thing that, that your work does, which is you leverage the ability to be relatable but at the same time, you make it really clear that I can't just get away with going, oh, now I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. I can relate to it. So now I don't have to do any more work about this. So, right. So, yeah. So I, I think I would just, I would just probably leave it there. Yeah, for sure. I, I think some of what I've talked about, like, I hope, I think people, I know because I, I work with people who, relate to that on different levels, right? For me, it's just tied to my ethnic, cultural, and religious identity. And that's a piece that I can't step out of, but thank you. Yeah. Is there any last thing that you want to add before we wrap this up? No, I think uh, I appreciate your time and helping me coach through this, coach me through this. Well, you, you exemplify the level of vulnerability that this work requires. And so when people think you can just bring in a trainer to an organization or have people read a code of conduct policy on not harassing people of different ethnicities and races, you're not going to build a culture, a community, an organization, a world, unless you do the work that you've just shared with me and with our listeners. So I want to offer my thanks to you. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Well, this wraps up episode seven of our second season of the Different People podcast. You can find Raymond and I on Instagram at different.people.podcast. We're both also on LinkedIn. You can check us out there. If you like the work that we're doing, we would love for you to review on wherever you listen to our podcasts. We, we particularly love the five-star reviews, and many of you have been generous in sharing that with us. Uh, and we also appreciate our feedback. You can get a hold of us if you'd like to reach out directly at uh, our email address, podcast at differentpeople.ca. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for spending time with us. To learn more about our work and listen to other episodes, 
please visit differentpeople.ca. Post-production services provided by jonathanlay.net. And thanks to Blue Eye Music for our music theme. You can reach us all through the contact information in the show notes. And new episodes of the Different People podcast are uploaded regularly to Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Please join us again. And until soon.